to our April 2014 Spring Prosperity Seminar. Uh, our text scripture today is going to be Psalm 115, so we can turn there. Psalm 115, verse 12 and 13. That's where we're going to begin. Our, uh, I guess you could say our topic or our theme today uh, is going to be on the laws of increase. Uh, even in, in one day, I don't think we could cover the laws of increase. There are so many laws uh, involved, uh, so many spiritual laws involved on the Bible subject uh, of increase. But we're, you know, we're going to talk about several today. Um, we should be able to get through several of them. But this is such a vast topic that, um, you know, we, we could spend days at this. And that's part of my vision is to eventually have two, three-day seminar just on uh, Bible prosperity and God's desire to, to bless his people. So... But right now, we're just starting with one day. So, let's uh, look at verse 12. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. Uh, of course, we know the house of Israel uh, is referring to God's covenant people, the natural Jews. Uh, the house of Aaron uh, refers to the priesthood. Uh, those in the ministry, but he goes on to say, the Lord will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. So that means anybody that, that comes to the Lord, that covers everybody that comes to the Lord. The Lord is planning on blessing everybody. Verse 14, the Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Ye are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Our God is the God of blessing and increase. He will bless us and our children more and more. That's true, isn't it, Peter and Ann? Oh, and our children You've seen are, it, so, are so wealthy, but they don't realize that it is the Lord. It's only I can see what God is doing for them. Mm -hmm. Praise God. Amen. Uh, God's blessing and increase in our life is not only meant to affect us, but to affect the lives of others. And that's true, whether it's good or whether it's, it's bad, you know, uh, whether we're blessed or we're not blessed, it certainly affects other people besides us, other people around us. So when he says God will increase you more and more, uh, no matter what level you are at right now, God's desire is that you move up to the next level because there is no limit with God. There's no point where God says, uh, that's enough, that's all there is. You finally exhausted my supply of resources. That's never going to happen. And, you know, people see a meeting like this and they kind of automatically think, well, that's for people who are having financial problems, you know, or they're struggling financially. Uh, and that's not the case at all. Uh, people that that um, you know think that they're they're missing it and they're making a huge mistake and there are people who would 
normally come to these meetings who are not here today because they have probably assumed, well, I'm not having any financial problems. I can pay my bills. You know, I, I've never struggled financially. I don't need to hear that. And, and that is a huge, huge mistake because these principles go far beyond money. I mean, they, they're not just limited to money. They're, they're, you know, they cover every realm of life. And, and it's God's will that we uh, increase in, in every realm of our, of our life. And, and it's certainly not limited to money. We're, we're either going forward or we're going backward. There's no such thing as just, as just standing still. Uh, you know, people, they, they just don't have a revelation that God wants to use them in this way, and God needs, needs them because we're on the brink of the greatest uh, uh, harvest of souls coming into the kingdom of God ever in human civilization. We're on the brink of that, and it's going to take uh, much more finances than the body of Christ currently has to finance that. So, people just don't have a revelation of that. Verse 16, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. So the heaven is the Lord's, but the earth he has given to us. The earth belongs to us with all of its riches, beauty, and splendor. God has given it to us to enjoy, to develop, and to utilize to his glory. Now you don't have to, to turn uh, to this scripture. We won't turn to all of them today just for the sake of time. But 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6 and 7. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7 says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Mm -hmm. So then, neither he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. There is a way the ungodly increase in the world, but it is God who gives the increase when we are operating according to the principles in his word. <clears throat> God is not a God who wants to take away from you, nor a God who wants you to stay where you are. <clears throat> God has increased on his mind. So every realm, your walk with him, your knowledge of him, your revelation, your increase in the anointing of God on your life, uh, regardless of what area, whether it's spiritually, physically, uh, financially, materially, uh, God wants to increase you. He wants to increase your standard of living. When you have more, you can give more, and you can do more. Now, uh, Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3. <clears throat> Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3. This is God speaking to Abraham. And he said, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Who's doing the blessing here? That is what is happening to us. 
our children are blessing us financially, and the more our children bless us financially, the more they prosper. Absolutely. And it's because of what they're, they're doing for us, and they don't, don't realise yeah. it. They, they don't but know. I know, because I'm, I honour God, and I'm trusting in his word and believing him. God is showing them to help us. And when they do, they're being obedient, then God is blessing them more and more. Absolutely. Just as these scriptures say. Absolutely. It's and, exciting. Yeah. And they, see, they're operating in principles. They don't even know that's in the Bible. You know, they, they don't even know that. But, but that's what is so amazing. There are Christians that don't believe this, you know. And then there are, there are people who are not Christians yet who are being blessed uh, because they're, they're inadvertently operating princi principles of God in the Bible that they don't even know are in the Bible. Yeah. But you know it. Yeah. You know it. And, and so you recognize it. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Uh, here God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You know, Abraham didn't say, you know, I'm going to try to bless me. I'm going to try to work hard and increase myself. No, God said, I'm doing the blessing. I'm doing the increase. So God has increased on his mind. Abraham did not go to God and say, God, I want you to make me rich. That is not the way it happened. God went to Abraham and said, I want to make you rich. And that's exactly what happened. That was part of, of the covenant that God made with him. If we want to be blessed like Abraham, we're going to have to accept the responsibility of Abraham. And uh, he goes on to say, Thou shalt be a blessing. Some people come to a meeting like this or they read a few articles, uh, you know, on what the Bible promises in terms of wealth and increase. And they think, you know, well, I'm going to get me a big house and a big car and, you know, all this. And there's nothing wrong with that. That, that is, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's part uh, of our inheritance in Christ. But that's not our primary motive for increasing. Those are byproducts of obeying God's word and putting it first place in our life. That's, that's what's happening to your children they're being blessed as a byproduct of giving to you. Yeah. And they don't even they don't even know it's in the Bible. No. They don't even know that. So with blessing comes responsibility where you know where, where Christians are concerned. God wants you to be blessed so you can be a blessing. That is our primary motive for increase. Now, you know. Most of you have probably been in the Word long enough to know that just because something is God's will, it will not automatically happen. You know, it's God's will that everybody be saved, but we know that everybody's not automatically saved. Uh, you know, I did not grow up poor. Uh, I don't ever remember wanting for anything. My parents worked hard. They were good managers. They were givers, and they walked in all the light of God's word that they had, which was not much. They didn't know anything about what we're talking about here today, really. Uh, but when I moved from America to here, 
things changed drastically. <laughs> and it was not for the good <laughs> in terms of my finances. So I'm really speaking from experience uh, today. Uh, I was doing the same work I did in America. I was making far less money at the same job. Uh, the cost of living was probably five times greater than it was in America. So you don't have to be a math uh, student to work out that that's not, that isn't going to cut it every month, you know. Uh, there were times when I, I had no money for a bus when I lived in London. I can remember walking from Putney to Clapham uh, because uh, I didn't have, I had enough money for one, one journey. So I thought, well, it's going to be dark when I come back. So I'll walk in the daytime, I'll take the bus back. Um, I can remember uh, eating cold Irish stew out of a can because I didn't have the, the coins. You had to put coins in this box to get electricity. I'd never seen anything like that. I didn't have the money to put the coins in the box to get electricity. And I can still remember eating that cold can of Irish stew. And every time I walk down the aisle in the supermarket today and I see a can of Irish stew, I just cannot bear it, you know. I just, I just can't stand to look at it, you know. But I can tell you, I am not eating cold Irish stew anymore. I'm not having to walk anywhere anymore. Praise God, I got a hold of this and it works. I'm speaking from personal experience. Plus on top of that, I wanted to give more and I didn't have it. I wanted to give more and I just didn't have it. I had no credit card. I had no overdraft. When the money was gone, it was gone. That, it was it. And I never told anybody. Nobody ever knew what I was going through. So this situation was totally foreign to me. I had never experienced anything like it before, and there was no natural way to change it. Um, now some people might say, boy, Barb, you had a money problem. No, I did not have a money problem. I had a lack of knowledge of God's word problem. That's what I had. And the lack of money was a symptom of not knowing what God's Word said. That was the problem. I mean, somebody could have given me money, but that, that would have been like treating the symptoms and not the disease, you know. And, and the disease was not knowing my covenant with God. I, I didn't know God's Word. And the symptoms resulted in lack and insufficiency. So I began to scrimp and scrape and save enough money you know, to buy one of Brother Copeland's tapes, and I began to totally immerse myself in the Word because I didn't want a temporary solution. I wanted out of this permanently, and I wanted to stay out, and I was determined to find the way out. Uh, that's why I don't understand why Christians who are struggling financially are not here. Uh, they're just not desperate, because uh, I, I was desperate. 
you know, most of them have been told in church that it's not important. Uh, and other than the people in this room, I don't see a lot of people who are serious about changing their financial situation, even if they're not struggling. You know, uh, you, you just don't. You just don't hear Christians say, I want to do more for God. I, I'd love to be in, in a position where I could give more to God and I could, I could finance, you know, uh, bigger things. That, because I see, you know, uh, you know, I see ministries and churches and, and all that, uh, they have a vision, you know, and they want to do things for God and they don't have the finances to do it. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't claim to know it all. And I'm still learning myself, but I am a far, far cry from where I started when I came here. Christians don't have to struggle and be under financial pressure all the time. And I want to do everything I can to help them increase to the point that they are not only blessed, but they can give the way they want to give. So I'm not interested and just treating the symptoms, I'm interested in curing the disease. And the disease is a lack of knowledge of God's word and how the kingdom of God operates. And these, the, the symptoms are lack and insufficiency, and those can be taken care of. Those will be taken care of when the lack of knowledge of God's word is dealt with. The lack and the insufficiency will be, begin to take care of itself. You know, you've, uh, you've probably seen the picture about little boy standing in front of the dam and it's got all these leaks spurting out and the dam yeah, it's about to crack, you know, it's trying to hold this water back and it's got all these leaks. And he, he takes his bucket and he runs over here and he sets a bucket, you know, trying to catch that leak. And, and he runs over here and he sticks his finger in that leak, you know, and, he's, and, and this dam is just about to break, you know. Well, you know, that, that's the way a lot of people are. Uh, that's the way I was when I started. But every time you get another piece of revelation from God's Word, you're able to plug up one of those leaks in the dam. And one by one, you begin to plug up this leak, and then you, you get another piece of revelation from the Word, and you plug up this leak, and you finally get your, all the leaks in this dam plugged up. And once they're plugged up, then there are no more leaks. And then every piece of revelation you begin to get from God's Word, you're not plugging leaks anymore. Now you're just building your dam stronger. You're just building a stronger dam. So Brother Hagen used to say, the Word of God works for you when you get excited about it. That's, that's Anne. She gets excited about it. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. You're already excited about it. You hadn't been here 15 minutes. <laughs> Amen. So when you hear people say, yeah, I know about that. I've heard that before. Uh, it's usually an indication that they probably have heard it, but they're probably not doing it. Uh, they're not implementing it in their life, and it's not real to them. When the Word is real to you, it excites you, and you never get tired of, of hearing it. it. It becomes life to you. Uh, when you get excited about tithing and giving and the will of God, you know you are on track. Now let's turn over to 2 Corinthians 9. <clears throat>
2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. It says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You hear preachers talk about, you know, sacrificial giving. Uh, you know, God loves a hurting giver. And they talk about it like a dentist extracting teeth, you know. This is going to hurt you a whole lot more than it's going to hurt me. You know, every time they, they, they go to take an offering. Uh, I have given sacrificially, and I'm sure you have as well. But you cannot be joyful and cheerful when you are giving sacrificially. If you're always having to give sacrificially, you, you can't be joyful and cheerful about it. You're, you're giving up instead of giving cheerfully. And we want to get to the place where we have a surplus of prosperity and we can say, you know, uh, I see you're building a, a you know, a, a new Bible school over here. Just send me the bill for it and I'll pay for it. That's where we want to get to. Send me the bill for your radio and TV broadcast. Send me the bill for that building. You know, you need to build a new wing on the church? No problem, just send me the bill. That's, that's where we want to be. That's when giving becomes cheerful and joyful is when you have a surplus of resources. When we get excited about what's going on and you get excited about what you're doing, you know faith is present. God is pleased and there's going to be victory. People are hurting and they are struggling. And there are two areas where Satan is going to harass you He's going to try to keep you sick, and he's going to try to keep you broke. Because if he can keep Christians sick and broke, he has eliminated the opposition. But when you're healthy and strong, and you have energy, and your bills are paid, and you have a surplus of money in your pocket, and, and in your bank, you are ready for service, and you are in a position to do something for God. God has something to work with. Good health and prosperity are strong witnesses for the Lord. People are interested in a God who will keep them healthy and blessed financially. We sometimes get criticized, you know, for saying this. And people say, oh, you're that health and wealth bunch. You're that health and wealth gospel. Name it and claim it. Grab it, grab it and blab it, it whatever you know you you preach that prosperity gospel health and wealth well what kind of a gospel do they want to hear i mean do there's only one yeah it? there's only one alternative it, it, if a preacher's not a prosperity preacher there's only one other kind and that's a poverty preacher uh -huh. and the word gospel means good news uh so you know which one do people want to hear which one do you want to be your shepherd? 
You want a prosperity shepherd or you want a poverty shepherd? Which one do you want leading you? So, you know, would you say sickness uh, and poverty are classified as good news? Not according to the Bible, but depending on where you go to church, some people might disagree with that. In some religious circles, they consider it good news, but it did not come from the Bible. The good news is that you can be healed, healthy, free, saved, and blessed. God is a good God and wants to increase us. Now, God has established spiritual laws that govern who has wealth and who stays poor. Let's look at uh, the, the first law of increase. Uh, let's turn to Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. And this, uh, this one is not only the first we're going to talk about today, but this is first in order of importance as well. The first law of increase we're going to look at today. The law of putting God first. Honoring God. Putting God first. This is the first law of increase. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. This is worded like a law. It doesn't say sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, a law is something that is laid down or fixed. Uh, you know, you, you take uh, the physical law of gravity. That, that's a fixed law. Uh, it doesn't work sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. It works all the time and it, it works for everybody. It works for young people. It works for old people. It works for men. It works for women. It works for black, it works for white, it, it works for everybody. So God has established spiritual laws in his word that say if you do this, this will happen and you can count on it. Now verse 10 says, So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. That is more than you can contain. You know, there are people that say, well, God just will meet your need. You know, he, he only wants to meet your need. Well, that's not what this is saying. And, and there are many other examples of Scripture in the Bible. This is talking about more than you can contain. Now, at this time when this, when this was written, here in, in Proverbs 3, these people were in an agricultural society. So that's why, you know, Jesus talked a lot about, you know, uh, sowing and reaping and corn and wheat and farming principles because people related to that and they understood it. That's the society they lived in, was an agricultural society. So today we apply this to whatever area we're in. 
you know, if, if, if you have your own business, uh, you know, if you're in the medical field or you're a carpenter or accountant or whatever, it, it doesn't matter. We, we, have, we just apply this to whatever area that we're in today. Plenty, increase, and abundance will come to you if you honor the Lord with your substance. Now, the word substance is referring to your things, your money, the first fruits of your increase. If you put God's things first, he will add things to you. Now, um, let's turn to uh, Matthew 6. Matthew 6 is really Jesus's um, rendering of this same scripture, really. He just says it in, in a little bit different words. But he repeats basically the same thing. Matthew 6, 33. 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He's talking about what you eat, what you wear, what you drink. He's talking about material things. Uh, when he says, seek ye first, it sets a priority here. When, when it is first, you will give and sow toward it. And it is a measurement of your commitment to seeking it first. It is a measurement of your commitment to seeking the kingdom of God first when you're giving into the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is a way of life. It's God's government. It's the way God operates throughout the Bible. Uh, it's, it's based on the law of sowing and reaping. And God has established laws that govern it. One of the places people are missing it uh, is they have reversed this law. Many people are trying to add things to themselves and then put God in his way of doing things second or third or somewhere else in priority in their lives. These spiritual laws and our priorities must be in proper order if we are going to experience the God kind of increase. If you make sure God's things are taken care of, he will make sure your things are taken care of. You have to put him first before you and his things before your things. Now, let's uh, turn to 1 Kings. First Kings seventeen. Tell me that again. First Kings seventeen. You're probably familiar with this scripture. Um, you know, Elijah was uh, at the brook Cherith, and you know it, it dried up. And God spoke to him, 
And uh, in verse uh, 9, uh, he gives Elijah some instructions because there was a famine in the land. God instructed Elijah to go to a certain place called Zarephath. And there was a widow woman there that would sustain him. Now, um, he said in verse 10, uh, you know, he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink it. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruse. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. So this woman is down to her last meal. Elijah asked her for some water, and as she went to get some, he said, could you also bring me something to eat? And she told him her situation. She only had enough food left for one meal for her and her son. Then, in verse 13, Elijah said, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make thereof a little cake first. And bring it unto me. He said, first bring it to me, and after make for thee and for thy son. Now, if this were today, what do you think the news media would say if they heard about this? What do you think would be on the headlines of the newspaper? Preacher takes widow woman's last meal. I mean, it would be spread all over, you know, CNN, BBC. They would be crucifying this preacher for taking this widow woman's last meal. Jesus said there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, but to none of them was he sent except to this widow in Zarephath. This widow woman had to make a decision. She was down to her last meal her last resources and it took some faith on her part to take food from her child's mouth and give it to the preacher but in doing so she put god first god does not personally need money or anything his people his church his workers need things and uh, in Matthew 25, Jesus said, What? If you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Whatever you give to God's people, his church, his workers, God takes it personally. It's the same as if you did it for him. If they need it, he needs it. And as this widow in Zarephath put the man of God first, she obeyed him and she brought the last meal she had to him first. Something miraculous happened. In verse 15, And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, 
And she and he and her house did eat many days. The cross reference in my Bible says a full year. For one full year, all three of them ate every day until it rained and food was plentiful again. And all the while, there were people all around them in the land starving and dying. But this woman put God first. She put the man of God first. She obeyed him, and it took real faith to do that. And something miraculous happened. God caused that food to multiply for them for a solid year. They never went without. Now let's uh, turn back a bit further back in the Old Testament to the book of Joshua. Joshua 6. Joshua 6. Um, actually, jo Joshua 6, chapter 6 and 7 deals with this whole uh, subject here. But in Joshua 6, Jericho, this is where the Israelites have now come out of Egypt, and they're about to cross over the River Jordan and go into the Promised Land. And Jericho was the first city in the land of Canaan. And in Joshua 6, 19, God God gives them some instructions before they go into this city and he tells them what, how, you know, how to do it, what it's going to be like. So he's giving them instructions. But all the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron, in other words, all, all of the spoils of this city, you're going to go in, you're going to capture this city, all the treasures, all the spoils, all the bounty from this city are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So God said, all the possessions and treasures of the first city that you're going to take is mine. In the first city, Jericho, nobody touches anything. It all belongs to me. So the spoils of Jericho were holy. The, the word holy just means devoted. It, it means separated unto God. Uh, devoted to God. And God said, don't even touch it. So in uh, Joshua 6, 18, um, uh, and 19, well, okay, I just read, God's already said, if you do touch anything, you're going to be cursed, okay? Because the spoils of the first city are mine. They're devoted to me. They're holy to me. Don't even touch them. Well, a man named Achan took some nice clothes, gold and silver, and he hid them in his tent, and he thought nobody would find out about it. He thought he could get away with it. 
He thought nobody, including God, would notice it. But the next battle Israel was in, they were defeated. I mean, they got wiped out. And Joshua goes to God and he said, God, what happened here? You said you were going to be with us. You said, you know, you would give us the land. What happened here that we just got slapped down? What's going on here? You said you would be with us. And God told them that somebody had taken the devoted thing. God had taken some of the possessions that he told them not to take because they belonged to him. Achan touched the holy thing that was devoted to God, and God was angry. So these treasures and spoils of the first city that were holy and devoted to God represent the tithe or the first fruits. God said the firstborn, the first crops, the first of everything was his. Now, was this because God didn't want them to have gold, silver, or nice clothes, or nice things? No. He's just establishing a spiritual law that he comes first. Now, over in Joshua chapter 7, it goes on. They, so they said, okay, we're going to find out who's done this. And they turned everybody's tent upside down. And they found the hidden clothes, the gold and the silver, in Achan's tent. And it goes on to say, over in uh, verse, around verse 25 there, this is what they did. They took him, they took his children, they took his animals, everything he had, and stoned them and burned them. Now that was a penalty for disobeying God and taking the devoted things that belong to God. Aren't you glad we're living in the New Testament? <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> I sure am. But there's a principle here. And God was trying to make a point and God had to make a strong point. You, you can see that. Having said that, there are Christians bringing trouble on themselves and bringing a self-inflicted curse on themselves by putting themselves before God and keeping the tithe and first fruits of their increase, just like this man Achan did. They think they can get away with it and it doesn't matter and God will understand. Those who keep the tithe for themselves don't really get to keep it because the curse eats it up and more besides. So you can see a pattern throughout the Old Testament where Israel suffered every time they disobeyed God's word. And there were, there were two things that really ticked God off in the Old Testament. And one of them was worshiping other gods and not putting him first and not acknowledging him as their source. Every time they had some wicked king that got in there and he turned the people away from God and he got them worshiping idols or some other God, I mean, things went downhill for them badly. Uh, so 
so God absolutely demanded that he be put first. And, the, and another thing that really upset God was not putting him first in the area of tithe and first fruits. So this law of putting God first is serious business. Now over in Joshua 8, it, it continues, the second city they came to in the land of Canaan was called Ai. And God said, the second city and, and all the other cities, God said, now in Ai, you can keep all the spoils, all the increase of that city, you can keep it for yourselves. You can have it all. You can have it all. You can have it all in the second city. But the first city was mine. Can you see the, the law of putting God first here? The principle that God is establishing, that he comes first. So as the, the spools of the first city belong to him, the spools of Ai, he said, you can keep all of them for yourself. So by putting God first with your tithe and first fruits, you acknowledge that God and God only is your source. God says you are honoring him and he will bless the 90% you get to keep and it will go much further than, is, than if you kept the entire 100% for yourself. Seek the promotion and development of God's things first. His work before your work. I can remember when I first came here, the first church I was in in London, this is when I was, you know, uh, before I knew these things and I was having a really hard time. I still had a little bit of savings in the, in the bank in America. And uh, I emptied that savings and I gave it to the church where I was going in London because I needed a new computer for the church. So in, in that way, I put their needs, I put God's needs ahead of my needs. And consequently, when I needed a new computer, somebody bought me a new computer. Didn't, it didn't cost me a thing. So, uh, you know, somebody bought me a brand new one and I've had two more since then. So, I'm telling you, it works. It works, putting God first, putting his work first, before ours. With many Christians, their giving is not first in their thoughts and actions. Their bills, their insurance, their car payment are first, and giving to God is a side point. Uh, you know, it's just something they may or may not participate in when the bag is passed around on Sunday. In some churches, they don't even pass the bag around. They might stick a little box at the front door and people drop a few coins in on the way out. I visited one church here. Uh, I mean, I knew after I visited several times something was not right, you know. And uh, about the third time I visited, I realized they have never taken an offering in this church since I've been here. And that is weird, you know. And... I mentioned it to someone after church, you know, I said, you know, I've noticed nobody's taken an offering since I've been coming here. 
Now this is one of those churches where they don't have a pastor. They got about six elders or whatever who somehow all are supposed to lead these people. I don't know how you can have a body without a head, but no pastor and they got kind of six people. Like, like Jason possessed. Yeah, yeah. And she, and uh, so I said, it's strange, nobody's received an offering since I've been here. She said, oh no, we, we don't do that. We give, we give it to our shepherd, I think she's, I think that's a term she used. We give it to our shepherd. So apparently, and I did at this point, I didn't want to start asking questions because I already thought this is strange, you know, but so I didn't want to get into a real discussion, but apparently there's kind of a hierarchy of people, maybe cell group leader and somebody above them and somebody above them. And she said, we give it to our shepherd or whatever. So whoever's above them, that's who got their offering. Or I don't know if they believed in tithing or not. They might. But there was no offering received. It was never mentioned. Absolutely silent. She said, we, so it sounded like behind closed, I don't know when they gave it to them or anything, but it's somehow, you know, we, oh no, we give it to our shepherd. I thought, this is weird. I am out of here, you know, but uh, that, that's just the way, that's just how strange it, it can get. Just how off the word of God it can get. When times get tight for some people, the first thing they are tempted to cut back on is their giving to God. Uh, they don't think about cutting back on themselves. They think about cutting back on God. You know, even if they do sit down and they go through their, you know, finances, uh, you know, they're not about to sell that season ticket to Chelsea. You know what I mean? <laughs> if anybody gets cut out, the season ticket to Chelsea isn't going to get cut, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, and I can remember, uh, you know, when I was at the place, when I, I said to God, okay, Lord, I mean, I can already see that there isn't enough money going to work out this month, but if anybody has to do without, it's going to be me and not you. And, I, and I've made that decision many times, and I stuck to it, and boy, did it did it pay off, you know, in, in, in the long run it paid off. So when things were really tight for me, I made that decision um, that, that if anybody had to do without that month, it was going to be me. Now, uh, the last seminar we had back in the autumn, uh, we, we talked, that we began to touch a little bit on tithing. We talked a little bit about tithing. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit, uh, talk quite a bit about it today. Uh, I'm not going to repeat what I said last time, but it's, it's a vast subject. It's a much debated and much misunderstood subject. Uh, the word tithe just means the first tenth. Now, um, there's some Bible teachers, there, there's a little bit of, you know, different opinion about tithe and first fruits and I'm not going to split hairs over it and, and I'm not going to uh, j just for today's purposes I'm going to talk about them all as one okay I can see 
in the Bible where it looks like they were two separate things because there was actually a feast of first fruits that only happened once a year. And tithe was something that they did all the time. Mm -hmm. So technically, mm -hmm. I can see that they were two separate things, but you know, I'm not going to split hairs over it. And, and I think it's really the principle that counts, you know, is that we bring our first to God. So for today's purposes, uh, I'm not going to separate them. So when I, when I say tithe and first fruits, for today's purposes, I, I'm going to talk about this, the, the same thing, okay? Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, it, it's a type and shadow of the New Testament. Now, I'm not going to ask you to turn to all these scriptures because it's going to be too much time, but just write them down, and I'm going to read them to you. Exodus 23, 19. Exodus 23, 19. The first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring unto the house of the Lord thy God. Deuteronomy 14:22. Deuteronomy 14:22. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. Deuteronomy 26, 2. Thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth which thou shalt bring of thy land that the Lord thy God giveth thee and shall put it in a basket and shall go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. Leviticus 23.10 Leviticus 23.10 This is from the NIV. It says, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. Verse 14 says, You must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. So uh, God said, You don't eat any of it or use any of it until you take the first part and take it to the house of the Lord. What are they doing? They're putting God first and honoring God with the first thing that comes in. The law of putting God first. Leviticus 27.30 Leviticus 27.30 And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy or separated unto the Lord. In other words, that first is uh, for his exclusive use. You don't use it for secular purposes. You use it for his purposes. So the, uh, you know, we, there's a whole, we could talk about a whole, uh, you know, sermon on where the tithe belongs. And, and we, we may have talked about that in the past. I'm not going to go to the side and talk about that right now, even though it is very important, because you would be amazed at where some people give their tithe that is un totally unscriptural. But the tithe does not go to what you consider a good cause. It does not go to your brother-in-law because he can't make his car payment this month. You give them, if you're gonna give a loan to somebody or give to somebody, you give them your money. 
The tithe is God's money, and it's not to be used for any other purpose. Now, Leviticus 27, verse 31, is a scripture that probably most Christians have never read, and you never hear about it in churches. It says, And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, in other words, if he doesn't bring his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. In plain English, that says, if you don't tithe, you owe God 25% interest. That's the way God looks at it. <laughs> now, you don't hear many sermons on that, do you? <laughs> no, but that's how serious this is, and that's how ignorant most Christians are sitting in church Sunday after Sunday. They have no clue at all about these principles and, and its effect on them or, or what God even says, has to say about it. Verse 32, Leviticus 27. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy or separated unto the Lord. Numbers 18, verse 12 to 14. Numbers 18, 12 to 14. All the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and of the wheat, the first fruits of them which they shall <laughs> offer unto the Lord, them have I given thee. God here in this particular verse is talking to the priests or the Levites, who would be the, you know, the ministers today. The tithe and the first fruits not only uh, referred to the first, but they also referred to the best. The best. When God, uh, you know, divided the promised land among the 12 tribes of Israel, he, he told the Levites, you're not going to get a portion of the land. You know, all the other 11 are going to get a portion of the land. But all those other 11 tribes are going to take the first and the best of their increase, and they're going to bring it to you, and it's yours. And that's why, uh, you know, ministers receive a portion of the tithe. Because, uh, you know, most people in ministry or most pastors probably don't hold a secular job you know so if you uh, you know preach by the gospel you you live by the gospel and so that's God's way of meeting their needs supposed to be but with you know 18% Christians tithing you can see the ministers are not they're not getting their their part and that's why some of them have to hold down secular jobs mm -hmm. to try to pay the church's bills and their own bills and uh, you know it, it is totally uh, unscriptural and, and they're the whole churches are under a curse you know and the individual Christians are suffering they're all suffering because they're, they're not doing the word they don't know the word you know that it, it this is a scriptural principle Malachi Three. We all know that one probably. Um, Malachi 3, 8 to 10. This is the only place 
in the entire Bible. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna turn to it so I can read it. Um, Malachi three eight. Will a man rob God? Yeah. Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. This is the only place in the entire Bible where God says, you prove me in this, and you put me to the test in the area of your finances. And this is the only place that Christians do not. <laughs> this is where they won't do it. You know, everywhere else in the Bible, they won't, you know, every, everything else, you know, uh, other topics, you know, prayer or believe in God or, you know, whatever, they, they want God to prove that they're not lying, you know. They want God to prove, you know, show me, you know, show me that this is true. Give me a sign, you know, give me a sign this is true. God said this is the only place, you know, that you're to, you put me to the test. And this is the one place where Christians are commanded to put him to the test. And it's the one place where they don't want to do it. Nowhere else in the Bible does God say to put him to the test about anything. It's only in the area of the tithe and offerings does God say, you put me to the test and I will prove to you. I will prove to you I will keep my word. Uh, do you want to take a break for just a minute? You okay? All right. Okay. Okay, we'll carry on in... Uh, Luke. Let's turn to Luke. We're going to get now into some things Jesus said. So when you get pastors who don't take anything out of time. Oh, I used to get bored when I got a sermon on the amount of times that we used to get at Queensland Church when we had a pastor. Well, they were ministers those days. And I got used to be bored stiff with a subject. It came so many times that I was sitting there and I was getting bored stiff. You mean they actually talked about yeah, it? Yeah, they were actually talking, not talking about, you know, pleading. It was a pleading for money. Oh, oh, you yeah, know, they yeah. Were, The minister there, because it was yeah. only the minister there those days, or the church secretary that gave the notices, and nobody else said a word. Mm-hmm, mm, mm, <laughs> mm. song. Mm. And... I was to sit there and I was to be bored stiff. <laughs> this is why... Because I was thinking to myself, you shouldn't need to be like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And this is why Christians don't want to hear about money in church because it's they're not being taught it. They're just being... It's just being like a dentist yes. extracting teeth. Yeah. I mean, when and you, you think... can understand why people don't want to hear it. I wouldn't want to hear it. Well, would... but, but if they were being taught, they would want to learn yeah. they would want to hear yeah. but they're not being taught they're being browbeat yeah. into sacrificially giving what they don't have but, I but if they'd be taught the word of god they would have it no. they, they would have yeah. more than enough to but, give but, but 
I've I wasn't allowed to. I was a child growing up here. Yeah. So why not bring your Sixty or a hundred fold. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't know that, and probably the pastor doesn't know that. That's the that's the real problem. Is the pastor probably doesn't know. Well, I mean, as we came from Spurgeon's College, probably. Well. You think they'd know, but they let's, don't. let's look at Luke 11. See what see what Jesus said here. Luke 42. Here he's talking to the Pharisees. You know, they were always trying to catch him out. He says, Woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and Passover judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. The Pharisees were meticulous tithers. I mean, they like Jesus said, you, you tithe off of herbs. You know, they tithe off of every little minute thing. Uh, and, and referring to tithing, Jesus said, you, you ought to have done it. That's the right thing. Jesus is saying, you, you did the right thing. He goes on to say what they didn't do right, you know. But, he, but regarding the tithe, Jesus said, you ought to have done it. So Jesus did not say, I'm going to initiate a new covenant where tithing will no longer be necessary. Mm. Jesus never said that. And there are Christians that will fuss and fight and argue with you all day long about this, but, but there's no getting around the Word of God. Now turn over, uh, let's see. Turn back to Mark, a few pages, to Mark 12. Mark 12. Uh, verse 15. Now the context here is money and taxes. And uh, again, the Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus out publicly, make, make him look bad. And they say, uh, they, they bring this coin, this money to Jesus. They say, shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now, if Jesus said, Render to God the things that are God's, then there must be some things that belong exclusively to God and nobody else. In the Old Covenant, Jesus and others did not have to explain this. They all knew it. They had been taught this for centuries. That the best and the first belongs to God. That was not something new to them. They all knew this. They had been taught it. But today, things are much different. Because centuries ago, Theologians and philosophers began to take uh, the Abrahamic uh, covenant, the blessing of Abraham, out. They began to replace it with doctrines of men. 
and pagan philosophies. The blessing of Abraham was no longer taught. So year after year, century after century goes by, and Christians no longer know these things, and that's where we are today. This is not, you know, you know people criticize us, oh, that's that, you know, um, American gospel, this health and wealth, you know, you're, you're like it's something new. Well, it's new to them. <laughs> it's not new. It's just new to them because nobody is. It hasn't been taught for centuries. It's a lost revelation, and all we're doing is to restore a revelation that's always been there. It just, it just stopped being taught. Just like at one point, you know. I mean, there are churches that teach that healing has stopped. Yeah. Healing has passed away. Well, in some churches it has passed away because nobody's going to get healed there. That's just because they don't believe in it. They don't believe in it, so it's not going to happen. But, excuse me, you made me remember something a few years ago. I only, we, we were like you. We, didn't, we only had our pension. We couldn't have a holiday or do anything. And we we gave five pound to the church, and I sent five pound to Benny Hinn, mm -hmm. and it was a struggle. Mm -hmm. And um, I listened to Benny Hinn and felt I really should send him some money. But then when I had my prayer time at home, I said to God, I only expect forty or sixty fold normally, Lord, but. If I could, if we could have a hundredfold on this ten pound we've just given back to you, it would be a great help. And then in the afternoon, my son didn't know we wanted a holiday. He phoned me up and he said, "Where are you going on holiday this year, Mum?" I said, "We're not." There's not the money. There's not the money to do it. Actually, getting a hundredfold from that ten pound we spent would have been a thousand. Mm -hmm. And my son said, "I've been thinking that you, you and Dad need a holiday. I'm going to bring a thousand pound round to you so you can go." Praise God. Amen. And then on top of that, my daughter phoned up and said. I understand you're going to go on holiday, so I've decided I'm going to buy you air tickets if you want to go abroad. Yes, go so that was all because of us spending that £10. Yeah, and they didn't know. They really didn't, didn't know have. you had. Yeah, and they didn't know you had done that. Oh, they right. didn't know. No. no. So I'm telling you, that was that was a quick harvest, wasn't it? Yeah. Amen. Praise God. I'm telling you, it works. Well, sometimes if you're not, if you don't ask for anything, you get it. <laughs> I've often walked. Well, in. you can have surprises. Yeah, you know, God can surprise I mean, you. I mean, but often, we, we should often expect. Lord said there's a surprise. Yeah, we we, I, we should mm -hmm. expect to receive, but yeah. sometimes it's a surprise on how it comes back to yeah. us. You know, Amen. So God is having to reinstate and restore these truths that have been lost as a result of religious tradition replacing the blessing of Abraham. Now, we're still talking about honoring the Lord, 
And 1 Samuel 2.30, we won't turn there, but 1 Samuel 2 verse 30 says, For them that honor me, I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Honor also includes financial and material giving. The Western world's mind does not always make that connection. Now in, in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, our text scripture, when he says, honor the Lord with your substance, uh, other synonyms for the Hebrew word translated substance is wealth, riches, and goods. Uh, so, how do we honor the Lord? With the first fruits of all our increase. Everything that you are increased by, everything that comes in. Now, sometimes you may hear people use the phrase, pay tithes. Now, paying tithes sounds like paying a bill. And that's not really a good phrase to use. We don't pay tithes, we bring tithes. And there are people who can pay tithes and not be blessed. Uh, I do not have the same mentality about giving to God that I do about paying bills. Um, that's why I don't tithe and give offerings by direct debit. Now, some people do, but I'm just not gonna do it. I understand there's some ministries that encourage people to do that, and I can understand from a practical standpoint why they do that, because they want some idea in advance of how much money they got coming in this month. So, so I'm not criticizing them for it. I understand from a practical standpoint, you know, why they want people to do that. But I have some bills that I set up for the express purpose of, of direct debit because I don't want to have to think about it. That's my whole point of setting up a direct debit for certain bills. I don't want to have to think about it, you know, phone bill or whatever. Yeah. And, but when it comes to God, that's not the attitude I want. I want to think about what I'm doing. And if I set up something on a direct debit, I'm not going to think about it. That's my whole point of doing it. So I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm just saying uh, I want my giving. When I give, I want it at the forefront of my mind, and I don't give my tithe until I have prayed over it. Uh, I may write the check out in advance, you know, but I'm not going to put it in the mail or offering or whatever. I'm not going to give it until I have prayed over it. And to me, that'd be pretty hard to do if you're given by direct debit. I'm not saying you, you, you could probably work out some, you know, you could just set aside once a month or something to pray over it, I guess. But I want to hold that thing in my hand when I give it to God. That, that's just me. I want it at the forefront of my thinking. Some people get out their calculator and they figure down to the very penny what their 10% is. And they pay what they owe. That's the way they look at it. You know, I've had, I've gotten checks from people 
you know, 52 pounds and 65 pence, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's okay, you know, but that, when, when I, uh, well, the 62 pence does add up, you know, but I mean, praise God, because the majority of Christians don't even tithe, so praise God, you know, but I'm just saying some people are really meticulous uh, Keith Moore says when you tithe and bring your first fruits and it's 55 pounds and 60 pence, round it up to the next number. Give it, round it up on the fat side. You know, make it at least 56 pounds or even 60 pounds, you know, round it up on the fat side. Give it to God and then look at your bills. For uh, this is something I do. I heard Charles Capps talk about this a number of years ago. For probably 10 or 12 years, I have tithed according to the income I want to have. Oh. Not the income I actually have. I tithe according to what I want to have. Now, depending on where you are, that may take some faith to do that and you may just have to you know just aim for the next level you know but I said a I said a figure that I wanted uh, you know I wanted to have and for probably 10 or 12 years I have tithed according to what I want to have now I'm not as far as net income I'm not quite there yet if I were going on gross income which I do tithe on gross income not net but if, if I were looking at gross income, I would have passed that number a long time ago. Mm. So, uh, and I'm a whole lot closer to that number than when I started out. I'm not quite there yet. But that's, that's what I do. Uh, and I'm just suggesting it, you know, you, you don't have to do that. But um, we don't tithe because we owe God. I mean, we owe him everything, really, you know. But we don't tithe because we owe God. We honor God with our tithe and first fruits of our increase because we love him. And that seems to be what people do not get, you know. I mean, how can people say they love God and then fuss and fight over 10%? You know. It's, it's a love issue. It's not really a money issue. It's a heart issue. And that is what God is after. That's what God is after. Some people say, well, I just believe in being led by the Holy Spirit. Well, I can tell you, if they're giving less than 10% to God, they are not being led by the Holy Spirit. Because the Word of God says the first 10% belongs to God, period. You know, so that, that's the end, you know, that's the end of that. If they're going to be led by the Holy Spirit, they're going to give minimum 10% to God. Even in the natural world out there, say in regard to your taxes, can you get away with giving 10% to the Inland Revenue? Mm -hmm. Will they let you get away with that? 
I don't think so. <laughs> well, the basics, what, 20-something percent? I'm not sure what it is now. There's 20-something and 40-something percent. So even even the even in the world, they can't get it. They got they got to give more than ten percent to the government. You know, um, it's at least twenty percent to the government. So does that mean people support the government more than they support God? Yes. People fuss about tithing, but. God's portion has never changed in thousands of years. I mean, it's still 10%. He has, God has never given himself a pay rise. <laughs> I mean, the inland revenue can go up on your taxes, can't they? Mm -hmm. But God, God's portion for thousands of years has always ever been 10%. It's never gone up. So I, I think that's fantastic, you know. Um... So, uh, you know, people have to pay tax increases. Do they put the support of the country, the national economy, ahead of supporting God? Are we committed more to that than we are the gospel? People who fuss about whether you should tithe or not uh, have never gotten hold of the truth of God's word in this area at all. When you get hold of the truth, you're not thinking about how little you can get away with by giving. You'll see how much you can do. Hebrews 8, 6 says, We have a better covenant with better benefits. Now this is a sober thought. Does that mean that New Testament believers should be doing less than Old Testament believers? Oh. I mean, you know, you know Old Testament believers minimum tithed. I mean, you know, they were taught that. And that, but unfortunately, that's even the argument that some Christians make that, that we shouldn't have to because we're not under the Old Covenant. But tithing um, did not begin with the Law of Moses. It goes back to the Garden of Eden, and we're going to look at that today if, if I plan on it. Uh, God incorporated it into the Law of Moses, but it did not begin with the Law of Moses. It began at the beginning, long, long, long before the Law of Moses. So, no, we should be doing more, much more than Old Testament believers because we have a better covenant with a better mediator. Should we do worse in our giving and supporting the work of God than the Old Covenant people did? Proverbs 3.9 says, uh, Honor the Lord with your substance and all your increase. Now this is something, as I was studying this, you know, jogged me and I, I, I saw something here that I think... Uh, at least for a while, I probably did, and I was aware of it, at least in the back of my mind, but I think I may have let this slip probably recently, and I'm going to fix it. You know, I'm going to fix it. But when it says all of your increase, if somebody gives you a new pair of shoes, 
That's increase. That's something you did not have previously. So if you figure out the approximate cost of those shoes and you give a tithe on it. Now I think in the past times I have done that because I recognized it is increase. But I don't think I've been consistent about it and sometimes I think I just got so busy, you know, that I just let it slip. Because I think in the back of my mind, I was aware of this. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix that because I think that, that's the right thing to do. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm going to rectify that. But if God puts, puts it on somebody's heart to give me something, it's increase. In the Old Testament, it was not just currency. It was crops, herds, flocks. Because that's how increase was measured back then, you know. Uh, so this is not a matter of being legalistic or figuring out to the exact penny, you know, what 10% is. It's just a matter of putting God first. That's the law of increase we're looking at. This is the crux of the matter where the tithe is concerned. The tithe is not a money issue, it is a heart issue. And that's why it's a touchy subject in churches and people do not want to talk about it and they want to fuss and argue over it. Um, it locates their heart and where their heart is concerning the things of God. God puts his finger on their heart and if they are one of those who don't tithe, or one that fusses about it, then they don't like it because they're convicted. When you honor God with your tithe and first fruits, you are demonstrating that He has your heart and that God is your source. That is the whole purpose, really, of the tithe. Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also.